rallying around those verses and a couple others as we celebrate today. It's good to see everybody. Um, this is Dedication Sunday. It's not going to be a big deal. We don't usually do big deals. We try and live out the reality of it, right? But for those of you who might be new with us or what's going on, uh, two churches merged two years ago, almost. So uh, First Baptist San Carlos and Hope Church San Mateo became First Baptist San Carlos. And uh, the Lord's been good to us. And in this last year, we've uh, taken out some stuff in our sanctuary and got rid of the pews. I know, oh, uh, all the while uh, looking to get rid of asbestos and looking to make our uh, sanctuary a little more uh, usable for the community out there. And that's our goal is to be salt and light and continue to be faithful to a God who's been faithful to this church for 73 plus years. Think about that. 1944 is when people started coming down the peninsula-ish Initially from San Francisco, and this, these Baptist churches started coming down the peninsula. There was a lot more orchards back then, and a lot more horses back then, and a lot fewer cars, and no iPhones yet. But the migration started, and in 1944, this church was planted, or birthed, or started, or whatever you want to say. And in 1955, this sanctuary was completed, and worship started here on December 11th, 1955. So if my math is correct, that's 62 years almost that people have been worshiping in here, which is amazing. And we don't often pause and go, God, you're good for that. We, we do that for a lot of other things. It's especially akin to some of our hearts because some of us who planted a church eight years ago met in a school for six years. And we got up every morning at 6 a.m. or earlier, and we transformed the LGI into a pseudo-sanctuary. And so when the Lord prevented or put before some of us a potential of merging, the leadership from that church came in and just stared at the building like this. And we said, this is beautiful. And even some of the leadership here said, it's a little rougher on the edge. So no, it's not. It's wonderful. Because it's there, and it's been there, and it's there, and it's been there. And it's, God's been faithful through pastors and through hard times and good times and marriages and deaths. And we want to take a moment just to Remind God that we know you are faithful and ask him at the end as some of the deacons come up, we'll pray, please continue to be faithful to us as we try and be faithful to you. One of my friends started a clothing company 10 or 12 years ago and his tagline was, God is faithful to the unfaithful. And amen, right? Because I'm unfaithful. But God is faithful to me. And so we'll pause there. I'm gonna preach out of Mark 9 actually instead of faithfulness. That's, that gets thrown around a lot in a lot of different circles. But quickly, um, we are looking like we're going to go to Houston over New Year's. Um, there's been feedback from a couple churches there and local ministries. One I just got this morning, we can house up to like 38 of you. <laughs> so come on out, and uh, we're, we're going to pray through that. If you've been thinking about that or talking about that, and we kind of announced some of that last week, there's a sign-up sheet in the welcome table. Put your name and your email, and you'll get on the information roll. Even if you live in Fresno, you can go to Houston with us if you want. We're going to do hurricane relief, okay? And it's going to be an amazing trip, and we'll, we'll do our best. I had one dear believer talk to me yesterday, and this person said, I don't think I could go. And I said, can you get on a plane? They said, no problem. I said, uh, are you a decent sleeper around other people? It, sometimes. I said, uh, can you do this or this or do this? And, and they said, yeah. I said, you could probably go if you want to go. So let's talk about that, okay? And sign up. And we'll talk more about that. We'll probably do a meeting in a couple weeks on a Sunday after church to really get to the nuts and bolts. So um, I'm going to pray, and we'll get in the Word for a bit, and then we'll go eat a lot. There's one young lady with child who says, let's eat a lot, right? All right, let's pray. 
Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the countless numbers of believers over the years that have been faithful to you. Give us the grace to parse through what we are to be faithful about and to today. And give me the grace to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we say we're remembering God's faithfulness, it's pretty apparent what God has done. If you're not in the loop, God has created you and me. If you're not in the loop, everybody breathe it on three. One, two, three. You didn't do that, even though you think you did that. God gave that breath to you. That's good. God delights in life and love and grace and forgiveness. That's why his son came to fulfill the law and usher in the kingdom. But when we say, how are we to be faithful to God? That's where we can get confused, right? It's pretty apparent, especially to believers, people in churches on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whenever, it's pretty apparent when I can say, how has God been faithful to you? You could probably list off 30 reasons in five minutes, and I would go, yeah. But then if we switched it and I said, how are we to be faithful to God, it might get a little quiet, right? You ever think about that? I read my Bible, good. (laughs) I go to church, everyone go thumbs up. I give, awesome. I treat others as I wish to be treated. You're following Jesus. But then as we pry in a little more, I go to BSF, amazing. How are we as people to be faithful to God for this season and for the season to come when we specifically talk about local churches, what I want to kind of get through? And there's a lot of different answers to that question. There's a lot of different Bible studies. There's a lot of different ministries. There's a lot of little different church missions. Some, on, some church on the end of the spectrum, you must preach 100% purely from the word of God. Otherwise, you're not faithful. It's like, in theory, that's great. Yes. But if that's our only aim, I think we miss part of the kingdom. You must get out there and only take care of orphans and widows in Jesus' name. Again, I think that's wonderful, but if that's all we do, I think we miss being totally faithful to God. You must go to Houston. We all say what? Amen. Whatever. Okay, we'll we'll work on that. But if we get too singularly focused and miss the ushering in of the entire kingdom and what Jesus has said, namely what God has said through and about Jesus... We can miss the foundational piece of being faithful. Who wants to be faithful to the Lord? I do. I do. He's good. He's worthy. He's bought my life with his son. The least I can do is be faithful to him. Amen, right? But I get confused. In my late 20s, I thought it was political activism in the name of the Republican Party. You can laugh at me. That's what I thought for like eight years. Ask my wife. She's like, I'm glad those days were over. Other Christians believe it's political activism in the name of the Democrat Party. That's faithfulness to the Lord. Because for some reason on both sides we think this is a theocracy. It's not. God tried that in the Old Testament and it never was the plan if you read the scriptures rightly. Other times in my life I thought it was complete 100% abidance to perfect doctrine, which means Christian truth. 
but I went too far that way for a season two, and I became grumpy, critical, mean, and judgmental, ask my wife. You can swing on the other side of that spectrum, too. Some Christians believe faithfulness is experiencing God in every way, shape, and form every day. That's dangerous. Read Acts. Because <laughs> you can experience a lot of little gods in our world with our iPhones every day, and we can get way off, right? But what is faithfulness to God? Mark chapter 9. I fell in love with this over the last two years. You'll probably remember some of it. Very confusing account to me at first. Jesus is in his ministry. He's chosen his men. He is doing ministry in and around near Galilee. And then this account happens. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. Taught this 18 months ago, so it might be familiar. I was just in Tahoe this last week with my wife celebrating our anniversary. She stuck with me for 18 years, so she gets the medal. And we've actually been a couple longer together than I have been single, which is kind of a milestone in life, which is weird. That means I'm old. That's all that means. But we saw a few mountains in Tahoe. A couple peaks like 10, 11,000 feet. I know some of you have been to Colorado or the Canada. You're like, those aren't mountains. We get that. But Peter, James, and John go up a mountain with Jesus. Interesting the word mountains used. The elevation of this mountain is about 1,600 feet, give or take, maybe 1,800. Not too high, right? If we had to, knowing our congregation and knowing some of the physically dominant people and some of us like me who are not as dominant, could we get everybody up we needed to, all of us, by sunset on an 1,800-foot mountain? Yeah, we could. Teamwork. We could. Especially with cars. <laughs> no, there's actually a road now that leads right up to the... It's a short walk. So why would... Mark, use the word mountain. There's a reason. You guys remember Mount Sinai way back in the Old Testament? Mount Sinai is like eight or 9,000 feet. Mount Sinai is jagged, and only a couple people in the room could get up there because there's no roads, and you got to hike like a monster. Why is Mount Sinai important? God gave the law twice on Mount Sinai. He gave it twice because Moses got mad and broke it and had to go meet God again, remember? And God spoke and gave the law. That was the way God's people were faithful to him, keyword, for almost 2,000 years. By observing the law, by treating each other well, by worshiping the one true God, by not murdering, by not eating certain things for mostly health reasons, but the law was given to show people there is a God, he is good, he is to be worshipped, forget the gods of all the other people, and follow him. It was to shape people into a worshipping and just society so God would be pleased to dwell with them. We know the story. They usually did well for a couple of generations, and then what happened? 
especially the male leaders. Ladies, you guys get, sometimes you get off in the Old Testament, like you get off the hook. That's a good thing, because the male leaders were atrocious. And especially as fathers, most of them were just turkeys. And we see this generational just decline and decay. But in this passage, the writer wants us to know they're going up to a mountain, even though it's a molehill, because it's more significant than Mount Sinai. That's the point, okay? So in Mark, we see this. We see the big three go with Jesus, and we see, see Jesus transfigured. Verse 3, and Jesus, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. If we're not careful, we think this is a VBS story or a Sunday fit for our children upstairs, right? It's hocus pocus Jesus. Woo! It's just a weird account. But what the Greek word means, not to get too Greek on you, Jesus was transformed literally from inside out to show his internal holiness to the three men. That's what it means. So the author, Mark, is showing us this is supernatural. That's the whole point. This isn't Halloween. And so he's transfigured. Verse 4, and there appeared with them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Real quickly, if we were Jewish folks in the Old Testament and you had a son, you would probably want your son to be either Moses or who? Elijah. Maybe Isaiah. <laughs> Maybe Daniel. For sure Moses, because he's the man. He's the Bill Walsh of 49er fans. Okay, he is the one. He's the one. He's the architect. He did it all. He brought it all home. Moses is the one. He represents the law, all that was good from God to a faithless people. Moses, that's how we live. That's how we remain what? Faithful to God. Or Elisha, who was a prophet, who was probably one or one A of the prophets, who was amazing. So the law and the prophets are represented with Jesus on this molehill of a mountain. And Jesus has been transformed, and he's bright white, what is going on? Did the author have bad spaghetti? Was he hallucinating or imagining things? Verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good that we are here? Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You might remember from a couple years ago, what did Peter really want to do? Especially in Silicon Valley. Any, any budding entrepreneur types in the room? I think it was false humility at first. Because Peter, should we be here? More like, I'm glad I'm here. Why are those two here? The other two knuckleheads with me. Should we make an, a tent or a place should we put three little markers to remember this event so maybe when this is over, how do human beings think? Maybe we'll put a little lemonade stand up there after. 
Maybe we'll work on that gondola up to the mountain where the three tents are. Maybe we'll call some other brethren and figure out that something special happened here. We need to capitalize on it. So Peter's wheels are turning. And he is posturing and saying, should we make a nice little trio of remembrance up here for you three? The big three. Jesus is awesome. I got the law before me. And Elijah, the man of the prophet, the prophet, this is amazing. So I have son of man, law of God, and prophets of God standing before me. Should we remember this? If you're ever in a situation where something is, ama- that something is happening that's amazing, hear it from the pastor, it's usually best not to speak. Just take it in. And maybe even ask God to clarify some things silently in your heart. Let the Spirit come and show you some things so we don't end up like who? Peter. Next verse. Peter didn't know what to say, so he just threw something out there. And obviously they were terrified because this is something like they'd never seen. Verse 7. And the cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. It sounds so cliche. It sounds so cute. But this is the culmination of what God has for us to be faithful until he comes back or we go home. That's it right there. God, in ushering in his new kingdom via the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension and teachings of his son has just rewritten for them and for us, this new covenant believers, Christians, what faithfulness is. And what is faithfulness, church? What are we called to do as we finish here in a moment and pray and ask God to continue to be faithful to us? Father, give us the grace to listen to Jesus alone. That's it. Simple, right? Understanding what God has for us with regards to faithfulness and fidelity to him and loving him is simple. Actually doing it is very hard. Why? Because there is so much noise, especially in spiritual circles. When God clearly says, here's the law, here's the prophets, human being and my son, human beings think they're all on the same page, and God says, stop talking, Peter. You don't get it. My son is superior to all. The law and the prophets point to him. Everything that was written in the Old Testament is being fulfilled by him. And ultimately, you must listen to him, Peter, just like we must listen to him. He supersedes all. That's why when racism shows up in the Old Testament, I know it's wrong because Jesus said it's wrong. And I don't quote Leviticus out of context and be an idiot. That's why when misogyny appears to show up in some biblical text in the Old Testament, I look in Jesus and John 4 and go, he was before a loose woman and treated her better than I've treated any woman in my life. That's why when interracial marriage comes up and it's frowned upon and people are told to divorce in the Old Testament, I I come to Jesus and since he's superior and since I'm to listen to him and since my fidelity is tied in him, 
with him fulfilling all the Old Testament, I can go, interracial marriage is a beautiful thing. Jesus affirms all of it. That's why when eye for an eye comes, to, when eye for an eye comes up, I go to Jesus and God has asked me to be faithful to him and to say, forgive infinitely. Oh, that hurts. I saw an amazing movie on vacation with my wife, but it was one of those. It's rated R. There's one intense scene. It's a true story. It's Wind River. It's about a, a crime that takes place on an Indian reservation. And uh, my human, red-blooded, American male bravado was like, that revenge was awesome. I just gave it away. <laughs> but the problem is I'm not to be faithful to my human American male red-bloodedness, I'm to be faithful to Jesus. So Jesus comes and says, don't take vengeance, Dave. Vengeance is my father's. He'll deal with that. He'll recompense all that was lost. Be faithful to me. So this text teaches us when we get lost in the noise of Christianity, of both conservative Christianity and maybe more liberal Christianity, we always have to bring it down to the filter of God has proclaimed in the transfiguration to all the law and the prophets testify and point to Jesus that he is superior and that when we have a question or when we're in a quandary, we go to not just pages on a text, but the living word himself, Jesus Christ. The living word. Hebrews. The word of God is so sharp and active and alive, it can actually go into human hearts and separate tendons and bones and flesh. Amen, right? Who actually does that? The Holy Spirit who's alive because of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, right? Jesus is the one who goes deep into the human hearts and via his word, when we see it correctly, rips our hearts open. The living Jesus, really alive. We don't pray and worship a relic. We pray and worship the risen Son of God who is interceding, loving, and reigning for us. And he sent his spirit, the helper, to guide us. That's why it's good when we don't know what to say to maybe pray for at least 30 seconds. Amen? Lord, help me. Especially when we're terrified. Has anybody ever said anything really profound when you're terrified? Maybe some of you ladies, you're smarter than us men. But the point is, not usually. And so Peter's an example. This passage, when we see it correctly, is fundamental and foundational when it comes to faithfulness to Christ, to fidelity to Christ, to not being an adulterer at heart to Christ. God has said what? My son, listen to him. He is everything. Quickly, God met his people in the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai with a veil. Remember Moses? How did Moses' face glow? I want to see you, Lord. You can't see me or you will die. But if you get in the rock, I will put my hand over you. You'll kind of see the back shoulder of me and you'll live. So Moses, the one who Peter wanted to put on the same scale as Jesus, barely saw God and came down radiant. And he had to put a veil over his face because the people were starting to get what? Terrified. 
But on Mount Tabor, the 1,700-foot mountain, which is very accessible to all who believe, that's the other part of the metaphor, we see the full face of God in Jesus Christ. Did Peter die? Did John die? Did James die? No, they met God face-to-face -face in Christ, were changed, were informed, were like, we had it wrong. This is why God's so good. If you have kids, Jesus kind of had kids with the 12, right? <laughs> Little brothers. And if you had guys who were stubborn and hard-nosed and stiff-necked and didn't get it, pause. And you were so plain and you were so simple and you had to tell them three or four times, what would your countenance be towards them? Don't lie in church. Wake up. No, what's wrong with you? Bob, you're the smartest one here. Jesus presented to us by the Father, the face of God, the transformed face of God, all God said was, gentlemen, my son is far superior to anyone who's ever lived. He is God incarnate. He is what I want to say to earth. Here it is. Listen to him. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, Moses barely saw God, was given a tablet, good tablet. The law is amazing, but Jesus fulfilled it, meaning can anyone, superior, or to any, can anyone inferior to something fulfill it? doesn't work that way in life, right? <laughs> meaning he was superior, so he fulfilled the law. And then in this passage, we see God as he wants us to see him the face of God in brilliant light. And the father says, um, you're not going to fall out here and die. I would rather you learn from my son, listen to him, and go preach the good news to the ends of the earth. So that's the switch. That's where head and heart meet because we see Jesus as he wants to be seen. Full circle, deacons will come up when I'm done with this. We're just going to pray. And ask God, give us the grace to be faithful as you've been faithful to us in this church. Let us walk forward. So when pastor says, let's be faithful, pastor's simply saying, let's listen to Jesus Christ. And let's do what he's asked us to do. If you don't know what that is, go read Matthew 5 through 7. Read it every day this week. Go read it. And again. And read it again. And read the rest of the Gospels, because it's all in there. And then read more of the Bible, and you'll go, oh. Yeah, vengeance and revenge and hatred was seven times 70 appropriate in the Old Testament. But Jesus shows up and says what? Grace and forgiveness is infinite in my kingdom. I've offered it to you, go offer it to others. That's when it's like, oh man. Deacons, if you want to, come on up and we'll pray. I've asked a few of them to come on up here. And um, we're simply gonna close our service with a few minutes of prayer. Then we're going to go celebrate over there with a bunch of food. Whew, because we're Baptists, I guess, right? That's how we do it. But you guys can sit right here. You can go sit in the front row if you want. We've got a couple mics here. And I simply uh, ask them to pray as they're led and mainly to pray that God would continue to be faithful to us as we try to be what? Faithful to him. And hopefully we've heard today faithfulness to him is doing what his son has asked us to do. And... Uh, 
the beauty of America and the beauty of our church standing here is we can wake up every morning right now and figure out what Jesus would have us do. Actually, most of the time we don't even have to figure out. His spirit will tell us, right? And then we have the choice to go, I'm in. Or let's build three tents and do it our way. <laughs> I'll, uh, Kev, you want to close when the time's right? You're going first. Kev's going first. So I'll close. Kev, you're on board. Go ahead. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, this church, God, and what this means for us as individuals and corporately, God, I just pray as we move forward that we would be sensitive to the needs of the community. God, help us to know how to interact with our neighbors um, better, to show them love, show them grace to the families in this neighborhood, to the business owners, to the new neighbors coming in the condos. Uh, God, help us just to be light and salt and give us wisdom to know uh, how to meet their needs and, and loving them and showing them your love and showing them your grace. God, I just ask that you give us those ears and those hearts to listen. We thank you, O oh Lord, for all the things that you've given us for each day of life, for each heartbeat, for each breath we take. We thank you, dear Lord, for all the blessings. We thank you for this building and for the um, ability to be salt and light to the neighborhoods and to the people and to the children, to the adults. We ask, dear Lord, that you be with us and help us through this, that uh, you would help us to share the good news with others, with love and with kindness and with peace, dear Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, for our pastor and for our um, family, our church family. And we ask, dear Lord, that we treat each other with kindness and fairness and that we um, reach forward in faith in your name. Uh, dear God, thank you for this uh, beautiful church that stood here for quite some time. Um, for the merger that's happened um, in the past couple of years and for the community around us, um, the, the people in the church and the people around us, Lord, that we can, uh, in these upcoming years, just focus on them and work with them and focus on ourselves and become closer to God. Mm. Thank you for this time. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, the privilege of serving you here, God, and I just thank you for this um, congregation of believers who also love you, God. Pray that you would just um, grow that love in our hearts in this next season, God, that you would um, open our eyes to opportunities to serve you and to point towards your kingdom, God. Thank you for the, um, the privilege of being in this building, God, and just what that means, and I pray that you would, um, you would give us a unified vision on um, how we use this place to serve you and love you and your people, God. I pray that people would um, come to know and love you here uh, more and more each day, God. Father, we acknowledge that we have grand visions. God, we desire to engage our community with the gospel and with your son. Father, I just ask that you would allow us as a body, first and foremost, the leadership, that we would align our hearts and be unified under your son. God, that it would not be what our desires are, but what your son's desires are. 
And God, let us know those things as they come about. And God, that we would make much of your son. We would seek to glorify you in every day and moment of our lives. God, that we would be able to be a light to the community and understand what it means to, to be encountered with good news and to be encountered with Jesus Christ. Um, may we make much of him. In Christ's name we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are grateful for everything you have done in our lives. Today, in the dedication and for this church, we thank you for your blessing and for everything you have done through the years of the church and the community. Today we bow down before you and ask you to bless us, to know your will, to follow you, to be faithful, to preach the gospel among the community and help each other to build up ourselves in you. Dear Jesus, open our eyes our hearts so that we love you more and know you more and dedicate ourselves to you and to your service to build the church in your way, not in our own way. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for your love and blessings and we're just so humbled to be able to serve you, and we thank you for where we are as Christians, and we look forward to the road ahead. We are, are so joyful to be here in this beautiful sanctuary in your home. We come here every Sunday, and, and we know that you're always here, and you're always faithful. And so I pray that you'll be with everyone here, and I pray that everyone here will know how much you love them. and. And we just look forward to what we have in store, what you have in, in store for us ahead. And we thank you for our pastor and we thank you for where we're going as a church. And please continue to bless everyone here and keep everyone safe. We love you, Lord. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the family here. Thank you for the faithfulness that's occurred. Give us the grace and patience and uh, in some ways long suffering to be faithful to you for however long you want, Lord. And uh, Father, thank you for the food that awaits. Thank you for those that worked hard and supplied it and prepared it. Thank you for the fellowship time. I pray that you would bless us and keep us, that your face would shine upon us, that you would be gracious to us all the days of our lives. And all God's people said what? Amen. Amen.